Friends, last evening we were discussing the nature of that cultural heritage that we have from the past in India. This is All India Radio Archives recording. A tremendous experiment in human culture was started on this continent by great thinkers, great sages, great philosophers. What was its spiritual strength behind? We discussed all these things and towards the end I said as we come to the modern period we find a sagging of spirits, all sorts of weaknesses coming in. And one particular point I had made yesterday, and that was our political heritage has been broken several times, but our spiritual heritage has remained strong and steady and continuous. In Sanskrit, we call them Rajavamsha, political heritage, Rishivamsha, spiritual heritage. Anyone studying Indian history can see this distinction that the spiritual continuity of India has been unbroken. The political continuity has been broken again and again. The importance of the modern period is to strengthen our political status as a nation and to give a body politic to our eternal soul, a strong, steady body politic. When you come to the modern period, we come to our connection with the dynamic culture of the West. In the medieval period, we had assimilated, as I said yesterday, the great Islamic culture its social equality and almost every spiritual teacher and saint of the Middle Ages from Nanak up to the 18th century, they were all Islamic in their social policy and Hindu in their spiritual policy. Something tremendous took place in them, a beautiful synthesis of culture, of values, to create an egalitarian, progressive, spiritual social order. But conditions were unpropitious at that time. So many political tumults were going on, invasions were going on. Towards the end of that period came the British, bringing a new culture to our country. In the 18th century, we are entering the modern period. The modern West had developed remarkably during the last three centuries, not only in science and technology, but also in political thought. India came in touch with this powerful culture of the West. It was a new experience. We had come in touch with Greek culture ages ago. That was also Western culture, but only just in the fringe of India. But this time, India came under the political and cultural domination of the West through Britain. And Britain introduced the English language. We took up this English language, this interaction between two great cultures, one long but weak, the other fresh and strong. This is an interesting study in the history of 19th this century India. That's where you find the British well settled, organizing the whole country politically and creating what you find today, the political unity of India. We had lost it again and again. Congeries of little states fighting with each other. That was the condition at that time. We have to thank the British that they politically unified the whole of India and gave us the English language as a medium to get some of the most important Western 
cultural values and thoughts and our people absorbed the contact of the West with India had various consequences. In the early stages, it was frightening to us. We may lose our culture, we may lose everything, that feeling was there. Therefore, the first reaction to this Western culture was defensive. We shall not have anything to do with this. We shall stand on our own. That defensive attitude, you can see, that was the beginning of the 19th century. One great teacher who came at that time, a great thinker, a great leader, one of the outstanding personalities in the modern period, was Raja Ramohan Roy. So early in our history of the modern period, and yet versatile in his genius, many things he has touched, and they have all flowered later on, including journalism. He was the person who asked us to become modern, to base India on our own Vedantic heritage, but taking also the positive ideas from the West. That was Raja Ram Mohan Roy. On an equal basis, we can establish relations with the West. The but he came too early. There was no talk of equal basis at that time. The West was dominant. The West was ruling over India. How can there be equality between a slave and a master? But towards the end of the century, the same idea came. It was expressed by Swami Vivekananda. Sri Ramakrishna and Vivekananda, you will find one taking in the best of our culture and living it in his own life. In a short life of 50 years, men like Ramarola, who have written on Ramakrishna and Vivekananda, refers to Sri Ramakrishna as the consummation of the 2,000-year spiritual life of 300 million people. That was Sri Ramakrishna. The whole life of India, its spiritual aspect was relived in Sri Ramakrishna's life. And in Vivekananda, we found a dynamic personality who had one wonderful quality, fearlessness, and the spirit of acceptance of the modern West. We have accepted many cultural values from other cultures throughout our long history. And in this period, Vivekananda appeared with that attitude of acceptance. Our culture is not perfect. No culture is perfect. Every culture is experiment in culture. Today we have an opportunity to build a human culture on the soil of India. Whatever is weak in our culture, we can strengthen with what is strong in Western culture. And he found all these cultures complementary and not contradictory. What we have developed, the West will need. What they have developed, we shall need. Thus taking in what we lack, we shall make India modern, progressive, etc. This kind of approach you find in Vivekananda literature. So the 19th century saw the action-reaction of forces on the soil of India. According to Western thinkers of the time, they were expecting India will die with a touch of the Western culture. Political domination, cultural domination, religious domination. By this, this aged India, full of weakness, will die. A new India will be created there. In many letters written at that time, during the early British period, you will find this idea, that India will die in a short time. They were expecting it, but the opposite happened. This contact with the West roused the dormant spirit of India, the tremendous energies that have been there in the heart of India, and that burst out into a tremendous awakening. We call it the Renaissance of the 19th century. India becoming young, vital once again. You can see it during the last hundred years, one remarkable phenomenon, and that is an ancient nation, an ancient culture has become young, vital, full of youthful energy today. That is something tremendous. One of the great thinkers of the modern period was Dr. Brajanadath Seal. 
He was a college mate of Swami Vivekananda, a brilliant intellectual, the one who wrote the first book on India's contribution to physical science. That book is called Positive Sciences of the Ancient Hindus. That is the first book of that kind. He has said about India, a beautiful expression, India is ever-aging, but never old. Going on aging, never getting old, getting fresh, getting youthful. What do you find in India today? Even demographically, we are a young nation today. People below, between 15 and 35, they constitute the majority of the population of India. So this is something amazing. With the touch of a powerful culture, many old cultures have perished. They have disappeared. But in this culture of India, there is a tremendous inner strength. That inner strength found expression in a galaxy of great personalities who came in the modern period. They assimilated Western culture, English language, and then they made India stronger by joining that strength of the West to the strength of India. This is the story of the 19th century. We had many social problems, many other national weaknesses at the time. So this action-reaction process threw up a tremendous number of movements, social reform movements, various changes coming. In fact, the whole of the modern period can be characterized as a period of change, revolutionary change. Nothing old is staying at the same, in the same way, constantly changing because of this new energy that has come into our culture. It was in Vivekananda that this modern renaissance achieved its maturity, its real fullness. And he could say boldly, we accept the great deliverances of Western culture. We throw a challenge to the West also that they need certain profound ideas of Indian culture. We shall have give and take on equal basis. That spirit you will find in the literature of this Swami Vivekananda. That's why Prime Minister Nehru refers to Vivekananda in a beautiful passage in his book, The Discovery of India. Rooted in the past, with full of pride in India's heritage, Vivekananda was yet modern in his approach to life's problems. He was a kind of bridge between the past of India and her present. That's a beautiful tribute to Swamiji's personality. Men like Romarola and Tagore also have said Swamiji represented the perfect synthesis of East and West. Every type of human energy which has been cancelling each other in every other culture found a perfect harmony in Vivekananda. Reason and faith, religion and science, ancient and modern, East and West, all found harmony in this remarkable personality. Ramarola concludes that para, dealing with the subject by saying, Vivekananda was the personification of the harmony of all human energy. And he was a very young person. At the age of 29, he appeared at the Chicago Parliament of Religions, literally conquered the mind and heart of that powerful country. And this conquest is a conquest which India has been engaged in from very ancient times. It was Ashoka who gave expression to this idea of India's expansion into other countries. Other countries expand through military means, imperialism, colonialism. India's expansion is different. Ashoka said, we shall silence the war drums. We shall now sound this the kettle drums of peace and harmony. That ancient message we have continued to uphold in India. Yesterday I said, India's impact upon the world has always been peaceful. That impact has been mentioned by Ashoka in his edicts and Vivekananda gives it in the modern language. It's a beautiful sentence in the lectures from Colombo to Almora of Swami Vivekananda. He says, like the gentle dew that falls unseen and unheard 
yet brings into blossom the fairest of roses, such as been the contribution of India to the thought of the world, silent, unperceived, yet omnipotent in its effects, it has transformed the world, but we do not know when it was done, because history records only violent conflicts, war, silent influences are not recorded in history. So India's impact on the world has been like this. In the modern period, the same thing is continuing. A Vivekananda going to America, and though we were a slave nation at the time, he was able to impress upon the Western world about the wisdom of India, its high philosophy and spirituality. It has a tremendous message for all humanity. He initiated this wonderful exchange of ideas between East and West. He is a link between East and West. In the future ages, it will be understood that world history and Indian history became intertwined through Swami Vivekananda. He had that spirit of acceptance. Tagore particularly recognized this spirit of acceptance in Vivekananda's attitude and philosophy. When he met Romarola in Europe in the 1920s, he found this him deeply interested in India. Recording. He was writing a book on Mahatma Gandhi at that time. Then he said, if you want to understand India, study Vivekananda. In him, everything is positive, nothing negative. That is a tremendous statement. It impressed on the mind of Romarola to study Vivekananda. He had not studied much about him, and he started studying, and the result is those wonderful books, Life of Ramakrishna, Life of Vivekananda, both of whom he presents to the Western world as the splendid symphony of the universal soul, Ramakrishna, Vivekananda. That was the maturity of the Renaissance movement, starting from the beginning of the 19th century, ending with Vivekananda towards the end of the century. Swamiji inspired the nation to become modern, to develop scientific attitudes, to wash away that evil of untouchability and other caste exclusiveness, to uplift women, all these things which we neglected for the last thousand years, when our body politic was weak, all these Swamiji reminded us, that is how you can make India modern in this modern period, particularly the common people. They have been neglected for centuries. In Vivekananda literature, you find this wonderful spirit of humanity rousing the dignity of man, just installing him in his high dignity as a human being. <coughs> he has asked us to wipe off the blot that is on our society of neglected common people, neglect of women. All these must go. Some of the sentences are tremendous, both in his speeches this as well as in his letters. In one of the letters, he writes from America to the people in India. These upper classes of India, they have exploited our people, neglected them, millions of them. In that connection, he writes, little can you dream of the ages of tyranny, mental, moral, and physical, that has reduced the image of God that is man to a mere beast of burden, the emblem of the Divine Mother, which is woman, to a slave to bear children, and life itself a curse. That was Indian society in the 19th century. We have been developing like this for centuries together. The nation had lost its strength, its vigor. Even the great spiritual teachings of the sages we had watered down into petty little village superstitions. Religion, which was such a noble thing in the past ages, taught by the Upanishads, Gita, Buddha, Shankaracharya and others, that religion became watered down. I often compare what is religion in India now or in the last century. Even today, many people understand religion as some doing this, some little ritual, some ceremony. There is no stress on the spiritual growth of man, high character energy. 
This is the nature of our understanding because the energy of the mind we lost during the last few centuries. A jaded mind cannot understand the mighty philosophy which you find in Vedanta, in the Gita, etc. Vivekananda said, can a mosquito understand the strength of a lion? Only a lion, um, an elephant can understand it. So we had a very small mind. What is religion to many people? Even today I find, even a scholar will go to Rishikesh, pay five rupees to a priest, catch over the tail of a cow to go to heaven. So many scholars will do even today. Where is the great Vedanta? Where is the great teaching of Buddha? And what is this religion which we call our popular religion today? And therefore, Swamiji came to rouse us to an understanding of the true spirit of religion, which is character, strengthening. He calls it man-making religion, man-making education, nation-building faith. He aroused the nation to this understanding of the great spiritual heritage of India, rational, universal, practical, unifying humanity, not only in India, but in the rest of the world as well. Some of the great utterances of his are highly inspiring for our people. We were sleeping for ages. He made us wake up from that sleep. It's a wonderful passage. In his first lecture, delivered on the soil of India, was at Ramnad, near Rameshwaram. Coming from America and Europe, after four years of work there, he landed in Colombo, then Anuradhapura, then Jaffna, finally landed on the Indian soil. These lectures he delivered in India and Ceylon. You get it as Lectures from Colombo to Almora, one of the most nation-building books we have in the modern period. In that opening lecture, delivered on 25th January 1897, he strikes this note of awakening. This gigantic nation of India, like a Leviathan, sleeping for ages, becoming politically a slave to every foreign conqueror. To that India, he gave this message of awakening in the very opening para of that lecture. Here is that wonderful passage. The longest night seems to be passing away. The soberest trouble seems to be coming to an end at last. The seeming corpse appears to be awaking. India, this motherland of ours, from her deep, long sleep, none can resist her anymore. Never is she going to sleep anymore. No outward powers can hold her back anymore, for the infinite giant is rising to her feet. 1897, he uttered these words. Then reaching Madras, he said, We have confined our religion all to temples, images, etc. We have neglected man in our society. We couldn't see God in man, though our teaching of Vedanta is God is in every human being. Sri Ramakrishna himself taught us this profound truth. Every jiva is Shiva. Service of the jiva is the worship of Shiva. We never cared for all these ideas. We concentrated only on temples, on images, etc. Neglected human being, exploited him, and we thought we were religious. So with this as the background, reaching Madras, a few weeks later, he said, for the next 50 years, let this be our keynote, this great Mother India. Millions and millions of gods in the form of human beings, love them, serve them, worship them. Let all other vain gods disappear for the time from our minds. That is a wonderful message that came to us, which is Vedanta, as taught in the Upanishads, in the Gita, as taught in the Srimad Bhagavatam, and the spirit of modern culture, the spirit of humanism, all that is con what you call consolidated in that great message he gave, a message of a human orientation, concern for man. There's a beautiful passage in the teachings of Jesus where you find this, you cannot love me whom you have seen. How can you love God whom you have not seen? First love man across the, the road there, your neighbor, serve him, work with him, then you will understand the true idea of religion. Swamiji, therefore, gave that human orientation to our tremendous spiritual heritage so that we can build up 
a new society based on human dignity, human freedom, human equality. These are great Vedantic ideas and fortunately they are the ideas that came to us from Western culture as well. That is the work that is being done today. The 19th century gave us the philosophical and spiritual framework of how we have to build this nation. Great ideas came to us. And what happened? Vivekananda passed away in 1902. Within three years, it found expression, this profound message in political action, rousing of the common people, the awakening of Bengal. Men like Roma Rola traces the later political movements to the energy imparted by Vivekananda on that great message, wake up India, there's great work to be done. We have to create a new culture, a new civilization, any human society here. And that society, he said, will be a beautiful blending of the best of Western culture and the best of Indian culture. They have stressed man. We have stressed God. We shall see God in man and achieve a new type of culture here, which is deeply spiritual on the one side, deeply humanistic on the other. That we have missed for centuries together. Millions of people we have treated like animals. Vivekananda characterized that record of India as the blot on our society. Today you call it casteism, untouchability. Today you have communal conflicts. So many evils are there. In Swamiji's time, these things were brewing and Swamiji took up this subject and threw light upon it what we have to do as an awakened nation to banish all this weakness that is there and to create a progressive socio-political order. Immediately after came the political expression of these great spiritual ideas and the first thing that we needed was political freedom. How to shape our destiny in our own way? No foreign nation can shape our destiny. They are here for their own purpose. We are not their main aim. So the first expression of this great renaissance was fight for freedom. Gigantic personalities arose in the wake of this great renaissance of the 19th century. We had the Bengal agitation, Swadeshi agitation. Then comes Tilak, then Gandhiji, then all the various political forces being strengthened and they are made to concentrate on political freedom. That is the great saga we had in the recent period. Some of the generations of today are post-freedom generation. But those who are older, they can see what happened to India at that time. The whole nation rose, men, women, children, with tremendous spirit of sacrifice, spirit of love for the nation. And they struggled, they suffered, and we achieved political freedom. It is in this period they produced men like Sardar Vallabhai Patel. Their leadership qualities, their tremendous patriotism, their courage, heroic mold, they have been the inspiration of this national movement. And all this presided over by a tremendous personality, Mahatma Gandhi. He had a wonderful quality, absolute fearlessness and no hatred to anybody. It is a rare quality. We have praised it in our ancient literature. In the Gita, there's a beautiful shloka which represents in today's time Gandhiji's character as we saw it in our time. Yasmano dvichate loko, lokano dvichate chayaha. Who is my true devotee? Krishna is asking. That man who is not frightened by the, by the world and who does not frighten the world. That man is my true devotee. Gandhiji exactly represented that spirit. He was so strong, none could frighten him. He was so gentle, nobody need get frightened by him. That is the quality of character we missed for centuries together, except in a few saints and sages. Today, it must become a universal trait of humanity in India. The heroic age, of Indian history must be started once again. And so in the modern period, we threw up heroic people, 
In every department, they were heroic, whether it is politics, social reform, scientific research, everywhere. Batches and batches of great people appeared on the scene, and the first fruit of their great work was this freedom that we achieved in 1947. It is a great day, exactly 50 years after Vivekananda's speech at Ramnad on 25th January 1897. This country became free. Then came the great problem. What shall we do with this freedom? It is there. We have yet to learn many more lessons from Vivekananda and other great teachers. Freedom was a great achievement. We were all ecstatic on that day. In fact, I often speak to our people in various parts of India on 15th August 1947. The whole nation was in ecstasy. Freedom came, though it came with a tremendous evil of partition, but yet it was freedom. We have got a chunk, the biggest part of India. We can build up the hundred millions and millions of people that are there. So that is so we started with ecstasy. But very soon that ecstasy vanished. People began to forget the nation, forget the people, became self-centered, simply money-making for oneself. And all the evils that have come thereafter, you can be, trace them to this kind of attitude that came. We couldn't sustain that attitude of patriotic dedication. How many people suffered for freedom? But once freedom came, we lost that idea. Why should I suffer now? Let me take the best of this. But what about the millions who are there? Swamiji told us, so long as the millions live in hunger and ignorance, I hold every man a traitor who, having been educated at their expense, pays no heed to them. That was a great utterance. If you don't pay heed to the common people, you have been educated at the cost of the state, and you become selfish. That is treason. We have got too many traitors in India. In one letter he wrote, they alone live, this is who live for others. The rest are more dead than alive. Before independence, we had more live people. After independence, we have more dead people, self-centered, not caring for the nation. So some of the evils we had during the last thousand years, which we just removed from our minds during the freedom struggle, those evils returned back to our nation. Smallness, pettiness, and narrow attitudes, that all national attitudes began to disappear. Regional, caste, communal, linguistic, all these difficulties came in the modern period. But before that, we had already consolidated this nation. It was all scattered in a hundred kind of pieces of states. It is there Sardar Vallabhai Patel had the greatest contribution to make. Freedom came, partition came, but India was a congeries of states scattered here and there. They had their own claims as princes, and here came our Vallabhai Patel to consolidate this nation consolidate that freedom. He was served by very great administrators at the time. That was a great period of integrating this nation. The British left, leaving everything to ourselves. Have we the wisdom? Have we the training to build up the political structure of India? Politically, we have been a failure several times in our history. But Sardar Patel showed us that in polit politics also, we can have foresight foresight and tremendous wisdom. That is why that part of our history is so great. If we had continued in that spirit of consolidation, we would have become much more progressive than what we are today. But he did his work. He consolidated this freedom that came to us. India became a unified nation. And then in 1950, we gave ourselves a remarkable progressive Constitution. There's a great work, the Constituent Assembly, in which we had very distinguished people, great intellectuals, great patriots of all communities. We got a constitution from that Constituent Assembly. And this was piloted 
by a remarkable personality, namely Dr. Ambedkar. He is a remarkable personality of the modern period, one who suffered so much from our society, its orthodoxy, its casteism, its untouchability, and yet he rose to the highest level of intellectual strength, and then came the generosity of men like Jawaharlal Nehru. Though Ambedkar did not take part in the freedom struggle, but once freedom came, Jawaharlal Nehru had the greatness of mind to invite him to take up this great work of piloting the great constitutional struggle in the Constituent Assembly, and it was a wonderful combination of the best minds of India at the time, and he rose to the occasion, this great Ambedkar. We can never forget the greatness which is Ambedkar, as we don't forget the greatness which is Sardar Patil, the great Nehru, and others. So that is the time you had gigantic personalities, everything great about them, nothing small, nothing petty. They spoke of man, they spoke of the nation, they spoke of the whole world. That is how we started our career as a sovereign democratic republic from 26 January 1950. This, is this constitution contains profound ideas. It reflects the spirit of the ancient Upanishads, the dignity of man, the unity of the nation, the freedom and equality of all human beings, equality of women. All these beautiful ideas are there for the first time in a constitution. I generally characterize the Indian constitution as the new Smriti. We have been governed by Smritis in India for ages, and Smritis are very discriminatory. They speak ill of the untouchables, the lower class, even women. So much of discrimination you will find in the Smriti. That Smriti has been abolished. We have got this Smriti, this constitution, where you got a new Smriti. And our Indian tradition tells us that the Shruti will remain for all time because it contains eternal spiritual truths, very progressive, dealing with unity of man, equality of man. That is the spirit of the Shruti, namely the Upanishads. But the Smritis contain discriminatory ideas. According to orthodox tradition in India, wherever there is a conflict between Shruti and Smriti, Smriti has to go, Shruti alone will remain. Today we have accomplished that task. Our new Smriti, the constitution, is of the nature of the Shruti in content. It recognizes human dignity, human equality, human freedom, banishing all this untouchability and other things. That is the greatness of this Smriti. And the one who piloted it was the one who suffered most from the previous Smritis, namely Ambedkar. It is only an event that can happen in a society like India. In other countries, it was difficult to have this, this kind of a phenomenon that an untouchable becoming the piloter, pilot of a big constitutional process in India. And I call it, therefore, the Ambedkar Smriti. If Manu Smriti, Yajnamalke Smriti, all these have inflicted discrimination on other people. Here you have an Ambedkar Smriti, where this great idea of equality is proclaimed there. All the wisdom of India went into making of that constitution. It has been provided with provisions of changing, amendment, whenever there is needed, not a rigid kind of a constitution. So we had the constitution. But what is the constitution? It is just a piece of book. It is a promise. It is a hope. We have to translate it. It is there. We have not succeeded to the extent we could have succeeded. That is the post-freedom story of our history. But the state we have established today has a uniqueness which we have never had before. Namely, it derives its sanction from the people of India. Till now, our states were based on one emperor, one military conqueror, a strong person, maybe indigenous, maybe foreign. Such states we had. They covered some part of India. People were all subjects. 
They had no particular part to play in these matters. But today, for the first time, in the 5,000-year history of India, we have established a republican, democratic state, which derives its sanction from we, the people of India. That's the language of the Constitution. Assembled in this constituent assembly, we, the people of India, give ourselves this Constitution for the unity of the nation, for the dignity of the individual. That's the language of the Constitution. I wish every student studies the preamble and the fundamental rights portion of our Constitution and develop the will to, to translate these promises into social realities. That will is lacking today. That's why, in spite of all the great promises, many of them we have not been able to implement at all. Because after freedom came, people became a little cozy, a little comfortable, self-centered. The gigantic personalities who built up this constitution and Jawaharlal Nehru, who established the firm base of our democracy, when they all went away, we are not able to find people who can strengthen this resolve of the people to translate ideas and visions into social realities. It is there we have failed. It is there we have to work harder to bring about this great change in our society, banishing of poverty, illiteracy, social exclusiveness, caste pride and superiority and the conflicts arising therefrom, and above all, communal conflicts. These are the big, great problems that are facing us today. We are developing an industry, we are developing our political institutions, our democracy has survived so many difficult situations. In fact, among all the free nations, we can say our democracy is quite strong. It, uh, during the general elections, you can see how many millions and millions of people go to vote. When I speak in America, I often tell them, more than the total population of America will go to the polls in Indian elections. What a tremendous thing it is, 230 or 40 million people going for general elections to vote there. That is India today, a gigantic political experiment. But what we lack today is that human concern, that patriotic dedication, that work efficiency by which we shall be able to wipe the tear from every eye, as Gandhiji beautifully put it. That spirit must come to the nation today. Our idea of religion also must become practical, leading to character development, spiritual awakening, spiritual growth. Religion has two dimensions, ethnical and scientific. Ethnical is religion in which you are born. You had no say in the matter. Spiritual and scientific is what you seek, what you choose. That's called science. Nobody is born in a science. Nobody is born as a physicist or a chemist. You choose this subject. So in science you choose. In the science of religion also you choose. Then you grow spiritually. Whereas in ethical religion you remain what you are. If you are selfish in the beginning, you are selfish in the end. If you are petty-minded in the beginning, you are petty-minded at the end. A few do's and don'ts only, you observe. The whole of religion is merely ritual and ceremony. Man's development of character doesn't come along with this. That is where the stress has to come. Sri Ramakrishna, Swami Vivekananda and others today stress this aspect of religion. Have you grown spiritually? You go to a temple, you go to a church, you go to a mosque, you go to a Gurudwara, you go to any religious place, or you sit in meditation. Beautiful. But after finishing it, do you ask this question, have I grown spiritually? That is the meaning of religion. Divine in man must find manifestation. Out of that alone will come character energy. That is what we are missing today in India. Since independence, we all deplore today the erosion of ethical and moral values in our society. The amount of evil that has come to society is immense. Is it for this that we achieve freedom? So much of social malpractices, corruption, evil, etc. So the reshaping of India in the modern period should be based upon those fundamental values which alone make man really a individuality of dignity and glory. 
That is not there. If I can't wipe the tears of people around me, what is my strength? What is my humanity? It was Vivekananda who first drew our attention to this weakness of our understanding of religion. He said, even if a dog is hungry in my country, my religion is to find food for that dog. We never thought in these terms before. Even if somebody is sick or starving in, in India, something is wrong with me, in my philosophy. That philosophy has to change. How to take in all others in my thinking? That's a wonderful new idea. We have to develop it. It is there in our spiritual literature. See God in man, love him, serve him. That is true religion. Meditate and discover him within you and also see him outside there. This was the teaching that we have in our ancient literature and in modern teachings from Sri Ramakrishna, Swamiji and others. Therefore, this kind of acceleration of human development must come from generation of this new energy of character. Character energy is a tremendous energy. Today the greatest problem in India is to develop high character. Money we have, many things we have, resources we have, but development is not commensurate with all these things. Compared to many countries like Japan, we have plenty of natural resources, we have got intelligence in our people, this is we should have been developing very spot. fast. All this poverty should have gone long ago. All this illiteracy should have been banished long ago. But we have not achieved it because in spite of the other areas of development within us, we don't have that character energy that alone can trigger all this into action. That is what we have to concentrate hereafter in the making of modern India. Our India is taking shape, but the people of India must become more and more concerned with each other. What we call today the concept of citizenship. The day we establish our republic, our status has gone up. We are no more subjects of an empire. We are citizens of a free democracy. As citizens, we have a social responsibility and national responsibility. We don't realize that responsibility today. We are irresponsible when it comes to the nation, when it comes to the people, when it comes to public good, we are nowhere. Our own good we know, our own under welfare we know. That attitude has to completely change if you are to satisfy the requirements of the modern period of Indian history. We must become modern in the true sense of the term. I'm sorry to say many people in India has a very wrong understanding of being modern. Using modern gadgets doesn't make us modern. In that case, even the monkey and the bear, Delhi Zoo, will be more modern than you and I. They get air-conditioned accommodation. That doesn't make a man modern. There is a modern mind. First, scientific, rational. Second, intensely human, humanistic, with tremendous concern for others. Everyone must ask this question. Why after 37 years, 38 years of freedom, 300 million radio, people are so record. poor and backward? Why so many millions are illiterate? It is my responsibility. That attitude must come to our people. That is the legacy of the freedom struggle. All those who fought for freedom, they had this wonderful idea. We quietly forgot it. We began to take the fruits of freedom, never sharing it with others. That is the problem that faces us today. We have the evils of caste and communalism even today. In spite of such great leaders coming in the past ages, we have so many pockets of feudalistic thinking, caste and attitudes, caste conflict and communal conflict. The most shameful thing in free India today is caste conflict, communal conflict, apart from bribery, corruption, other social malpractices. These are all brought on a free nation. We can't develop based upon these weaknesses that are there. Our people must develop a tremendous humanistic passion. Communal differences will be there in every society. We have provided for it in our culture and in our philosophy. As I said yesterday, we developed a culture in India based upon the vision of unity in diversity. We never destroy diversity. 
We didn't want mere uniformity. We want this diversity. Diversity makes for richness. And in the diversity, there's a thread of unity as well. We have built up a culture based upon that. It has gone on for all these 5,000 years. Even today, therefore, we must stress the concept of diversity. Every religion, every culture, every language has a place here. But they should not become a means of conflict, destroying the unity of the nation. This wisdom this must Holy come to Radio us today, particularly record. in the caste conflict area. We have to get a new education. In fact, in many of my lectures referred to, we are educated people and we all need a re-education. A re-education with respect to our concern for the people. How to make us the servant of the nation. That is the great contribution of Vivekananda literature. He will ignite the humanist passion in the hearts of our people. Those who have studied Vivekananda literature thoroughly, they will love this country with a passion which will be rare in our history. Mahatma Gandhi said in a lecture at the Belur Mat when he visited that place in 1921, headquarters of the Ramakrishna Mat and Mission on Vivekananda's birthday, he said, by reading Swami Vivekananda's works, my love for India became thousandfold. I appeal to you young people who come to this Belur Mat to take something of that inspiration from where Vivekananda lived and worked. Now that spirit must come to us today, a love for the common man without respect to caste, creed or color. Build up India based upon that unifying vision. It is young people that must re-educate themselves in this way. It is re-education as we call it. We are educated in colleges, we get a degree, we get a job, we forget everything else. We are only concerned with ourselves. That passion for the people, for the nation, that has become weakened a good deal. Therefore, in the making of New India, every one of us has a part to play. Till now, we are passive subjects. We have to become active, dynamic citizens of free India. We always say the government will do. What about myself? I have a this great contribution to make. I am a recording. proud citizen of India. Very often when I speak to secretariat staff in various parts of India, I find there is no concern for the people. No papers move because they are not concerned. It doesn't concern them. When it concerns them, they are very active. When it concerns others, they become absolutely careless and that's an evil we have to fight against. We have to have more of public spirit, more of concern for others, what Vivekananda called the spirit of service. Renunciation and service are the twin ideals of India. Intensify her in those channels, the rest will take care of itself. This is a profound utterance in Vivekananda literature. Tyaga and Seva, this little eye must go. In a citizen, the little eye becomes a big eye because of the sense of responsibility. As a citizen, you are responsible for the good or bad that take place in India. As a subject, you are not. When the British left, you are no more a subject. You are a citizen. Therefore, this tyaga and this concomitant of seva must go together. That is a great work that demands our attention today. Then we can set fire to all this caste conflict, communal conflict, all these evils that are there. This land is a land of harmony. It must be made once again the land of harmony. Political changes have to come. Political parties also must discuss these ideas, particularly with respect to communalism. It's an evil specially connected with India. We have many communities, many religions, many sects. For thousands of years, they have lived in peace here. Why this trouble now? We have to make necessary political, political changes. One of the important political change we have to make and truth which we have to realize today is that our secular state and communal political parties can never go together. A secular state should have only secular political parties at all levels, parliament, assembly, panchayats, everywhere. Because every 
candidate to an election must be able to represent the interest of all the communities in that area. Then only our secular state is truly secular. Today it is not. A secular-minded national individual has no opportunity to rise up to the top today because of the wrong political policies we, we follow. So it is for the political parties to discuss this subject, how to make our state truly secular by delinking the political process from communal and religious affiliations. That's the most important work we have to do to achieve national integration. When Sardar Patel integrated the states, he was only setting in motion a, a particular activity to integrate the whole nation. We wanted integrated nation in India. We can feel oneness with each other. I can trust you to represent me because we are all fellow citizens of the same democracy. Why not a Hindu represent Christian, Muslim political and social interest? Why not a Muslim represent Christian and Hindu social interest? This attitude must come to us. Then only our secularism becomes true. Our democracy becomes strong. Religion also becomes pure by delinking politics from religion. Politics makes for selfishness, violence, all sorts of evil. Our religions must become pure, this is building character in us. Then recorded. only religions come to their own self. Today, religions also have become, as Vivekananda said, lifeless mockeries, which he said. In the name of religion, I can become a devil even. And yet we call it religion. So that to purify our religion, we need to separate the politics from that religion. Political life must be beyond all these sectarian religions. It is a national attitude. In this way, we have to purify our public life. That must be coming from thinking, from discussion. We are a democracy. We don't want to cut the head of anybody, but we want to educate the head into national attitudes. That's what we have to engage ourselves in the remaining years of this great century. This has been a great century, century when great scientific discoveries came. Centuries when colonialism was ended, India became free, many nations became free. By the end of the century, we must be able to say we have built up an integrated nation, banished conflicts, communal and caste from our country, banished poverty, illiteracy from our country. All this can be done only by an awakened humanity. It is that awakened humanity that must come from hereafter onwards so that we take full part in nation building. That's meaning of democracy. Vivekananda has given a beautiful message to our people in a beautiful sentence. He says, teach yourselves, teach everyone his real nature. Call upon the sleeping soul and see how it awakes. Power will come, glory will come, goodness will come, purity will come. Everything great and glorious and excellent will this come when the sleeping soul is roused to self-conscious activity. Physical science deals with physical possibilities. This science deals with human possibilities. What are the possibilities hidden in that human child? Vedanta says, infinite possibilities are hidden in every human being. Let us base ourselves on that concept of man, a center of infinite energy, unfolding that energy, developing high character. Then will come the flowering of India. Great saints, great sages, great intellectuals, great scientists, <coughs> great humanists will appear in this country. Great artists will appear once again in this country when the sleeping soul is roused to self-conscious activity. That is called practical Vedanta by Swami Vivekananda. We have that possibility today. We, are, we can write a most glorious chapter in India's long history. We are creating history today. Vivekananda created history. Gandhiji created history. We have to create history today. That is the beauty of the modern period. We never had this opportunity before. Today we have all the 750 million people of India can be well-fed, can be educated, 
All the distinction between man and man can be eliminated. If people are awake, it is that awakening that the central message of Vedanta, as given by Swami Vivekananda, I quote his wonderful sentence, which is an adaptation of the famous verse of the Kathopanishad, Uttishtata Jagrata Prapyavaran Dibodhata Arise, awake, and stop not till the goal is reached. Thank you all.